Good afternoon, patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today I'll talk about Pfizer announcing an acquisition of a therapeutics company the same day their COVID vaccine is granted FDA approval. And we'll also talk about the economy next on Living with Liberty. It's a distraction. The Biden regime is dipping back into the COVID well to provide a distraction to their utter incompetence everywhere else. Truthfully, they've been just as incompetent with the uh, the pandemic, but that's what they've chosen to use as their distraction. Dutifully, the FDA approved Pfizer's vaccine, COVID vaccine, to help provide the regime with some cover, for one, uh, to the utter debacle Afghanistan has been and the other other debacle our economy is becoming. More on that in a minute. And this also uh, th- this um, approval will also provide the regime more ammo to try and strong arm the smelly, deplorable vaccine holdouts into taking the jab. Now, no doubt the dominant narrative from the Menza wannabes in the media will be the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine. Now take it, you smelly, deplorable morons. What isn't going to be questioned and what won't be questioned is why on the date the FDA grants Pfizer the approval on their COVID vaccine, Pfizer also announces the purchase of a therapeutics company, Trillium Therapeutics of Canada. Interesting that Pfizer has been pumping up this COVID vaccine that the media sycophants of this utterly incompetent and corrupt regime have been pumping the COVID vaccine narrative 24-7. It's interesting, given all that, uh, and the fact that Pfizer's been raking in billions from this COVID vaccine, that they are buying a therapeutics company. Now, to be fair, Trillium focuses on blood cancer therapeutics, and Pfizer is acquiring it, supposedly anyway, this is what they say, they are acquiring it to increase their offerings in this area of treatment and therapeutics. Now, however, as I look at the company, the Trillium itself, and I look at uh, the possibilities here and do a little analysis, this looks to be as much of a technology per- purchase as it is a product purchase. Sure, to start, the acquisition will increase the blood cancer uh, therapies portfolio that uh, Pfizer currently has. But I'm going to read to you what I think is the key point uh, and, and the key theme of this whole acquisition. Now, this comes from an Epic Times piece by Tom Ozemek that I will link in the description box. Here's what Ozemek writes about the acquisition. Pfizer expects to benefit from Trillium's blood cancer therapies, 
including novel fusion proteins designed to enhance the ability of patients' immune systems to detect and destroy cancer cells. Now, that's a pretty loaded statement there. There's a lot there. Did you catch it? Including novel fusion proteins designed to enhance the ability of patients' immune systems to detect and destroy cancer cells. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds a little bit like what this uh, mRNA vaccine is supposed to do, doesn't it? Well, a, a little bit anyway. Technologies are a little bit different. This is a vaccine. These are therapeutics. But essentially, seek and destroy invading cells is, is what it, they're trying to do here, what they're trying to trigger the immune system to do. Now, it sounds like this trillium therapeutic actually might be a way to eradicate a disease, no? Now, I think as time and experience with the various COVID vaccines move on, and as we have gained experience with these COVID vaccines, it appears that they may not be the answer to how do we eradicate COVID. They were sold as being the answer to eradicating COVID, but as we've moved on here, we see that it's not necessarily the case. They were originally touted to, I think, implied anyway, at a minimum, implied to prevent transmission, to prevent you from getting it, from getting COVID. Uh, and now we're to the point with these vaccines that it's, well, it's going to lessen your systems and keep you uh, uh, symptoms and keep you out of the hospital. And even to that degree, I saw a story with uh, Jesse Jackson and his wife, who are both vaccinated, ended up in the hospital. So who knows where that narrative is going to go uh, going down uh, as we go into the future here, as far as it keeps you out of the hospital and lessens your symptoms. Obviously, it didn't for Jesse Jackson. Now, also of note here with uh, this acquisition, and I think key to how we think about what Pfizer might do with this acquisition. They have a $25 million stake in Trillium, or they had a $25 million stake in Trillium before they uh, just bought it outright here. And they purchased that stake in 2020. Now, that doesn't seem too coincidental, in my opinion. It seems very calculated. They purchased a company or bought in, invested in a company with a novel therapeutics technology in 2020. What was going on in 2020? Well, they were developing the vaccine for one. And, you know, we had this little pandemic thing going on. So they saw an opportunity. They, I think, see the, the fact that Therapeutics actually are the way to go. It seems like uh, the reports that we've seen that the therapeutics, whether it be hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC combinations or now ivermectin, uh, the therapeutics seem to be more effective at either lessening the symptoms or preventing them outright or shortening the duration of the disease more so than the vaccine. I mean, you, you take the vaccine, you're getting... You're, it seems like you take the vaccine, you're almost guaranteed to get the symptoms. 
uh, as part of the side effects, right? Uh, and then you endure that, and then you end up getting vaccinated, catch the disease anyway, and they just pat you on the back and say, well, your symptoms are less, right? You're kept out of the hospital, right? When in actuality, it's a small percentage of the people that get sick vaccinated or unvaccinated and, you know, we're ending up in the hospital anyway. It's all a distraction. It's all been a lie. Now, I wouldn't be surprised at, uh, given this information, the, the stake Pfizer had in Trillium, the fact that that stake was purchased in 2020. I wouldn't be surprised that if Pfizer weren't already hedging their bets on therapeutics and that they were doing their best to persuade Trillium to work on adapting their technology to COVID and attacking COVID in this manner. Especially with Pfizer knowing their vaccine did not go through the normal rigor for approval that all medicines do. They did not do all the trials that they were supposed to do. Some of them are still in process, particularly when it comes to young children, particularly when it comes to pregnant women, etc. What this appears to me to be is a play for when the ineffectiveness of the vaccine truly comes out, that Pfizer is at the ready and available then with a product to gobble up another government contract, this time for therapeutics. Now, could I be tinfoil hatting it here? Perhaps. As I, like I said, as I look at these things, it's not a coincidence. At least in my book, if you feel differently, uh, feel free to reach out to me and, you know, let me know your thoughts. I'd be interested in it. But as I look at this and uh, look at what's going on here, I, I don't, uh, this isn't a coincidence. Uh, Pfizer's buying a technology here. They're, they, yeah, they, okay, it helps our blood cancer portfolio, blah, blah, blah. The real interest here is for Pfizer to acquire a technology. Uh, I think they see the writing on the wall with, with this vaccine. And I think they are positioning themselves, like I said, to to cobble up another government contract. This is strictly a, a technology play, not a portfolio expansion play here. Um, so like I said, key, if you think differently, if you have a different analysis, love to hear it. Let me know. But keep an eye. I'd say this. Keep an eye on Pfizer's therapeutic solutions and what those therapeutic solutions are targeting. As I look at, there's too many potential indicators here to think that this was only an acquisition to broaden Pfizer's oncology therapeutics portfolio. Now, switching to the economy and why dear leader Biden's handlers want you distracted, and here's a hint, it's because they aren't building back better. Our economy is in trouble. Of course, I hope I am wrong. I have a family to support and bills to pay, like all of you do. But the indicators are hard to ignore. Take a look around the next time you go into the store. Other shelves full. Do you have to look for substitutes for your favorite product? Are there even substitutes available for your favorite product? When you go into a restaurant, are they fully staffed or 
have they had to do what some restaurants around here have done and close their dining rooms from time to time because they don't have enough people to run the dining room. Now, if your stores are like mine, then the shelves are not full. If your areas like mine and, and uh, is experiencing kind of this labor shortage, then you know what I'm talking about when I say the you go into a restaurant and the, you know, the, the staff that's there look frazzled if they keep their dining room open. We are 18 plus months into this pandemic and inventories still have not recovered. People still have not gone back to work. There are two major dealerships I pass by on my way into town. Both of them are in sad shape in terms of the new cars available for sale. And to a certain extent now, even the used car lots are looking sparse. Business activity slowed for the third straight month in, in uh, August. Now we're not done with August, I realize that, but at this point of August, we're almost near the end. Uh, pretty much the data that's out there is the data that we'll close the month with, and it's looking like it will definitely be another slow month. At the surface, this, this might seem like a good sign. It, it would maybe suggest that demand has been satisfied in the marketplace, that everybody has what they want and as much of it as they want. And because of this, companies can now start looking to build their inventories back up to make sure that there's no shortages at the shelf or uh, there's no, uh, that favorite menu item at the restaurant is, you know, is in stock. But as I look deeper at this, and as we look deeper at this, the slowdown of activity is not caused by demand having been satisfied. I think intrinsically we all know that. The reason activity has slowed is due to a few things. The persistent raw material shortages that go into the inputs for everything from food to cars to computers, uh, any consumer product we buy. It's the persistent labor shortages because if you have the raw materials, you need to put them together somehow. And if you have a lot of raw materials, you need a lot of people to put those together. And then there's a, a softening demand due to the Delta variant. Take that for what you will. I think that's maybe possibly a little bit of a stretch and excuse, but there might be something there. I can tell you that where I work and in my job, what I do is I oversee a team that uh, is responsible for planning production for our manufacturing plants. I, I can tell you that it, we're not seeing any demand uh, demand drops because they're softening because of Delta variant. It, our demand's still very strong, and I can tell you that we had to cut two lines of production. We've, we've shut down two lines of production because we cannot staff them fully to operate at their peak efficiency. And one of the other plants that we schedule for has had a line that we've had to shut down on intermittent basis because of people shortages. And we've had two other lines where we've had about half the output because of people shortages. We have the raw materials to make our products. We just don't have the people to put them together. 
as I mentioned, our demand hasn't softened all that much just because of the Delta variant. That's why I go back to saying I think that's a little bit of an excuse. Um, I work in food, so ever I I see the you know the restaurants around here are fairly full. From what I understand, people are getting out and uh, doing the uh, dine-in experience and they're going to fairs and festivals. So I, I don't buy the Delta variant softening demand all that much. Um, and that's, again, that's based on what I see. And you know, I think food's a pretty good indicator. We all eat, right? So uh, that's why I think that's that would be my reasoning for saying Delta variant isn't necessarily the best reason to put out there. Uh, is why we're slowing, you know, we're seeing a, a slower August or a slower summer, let's call it. As a company, we just don't have the resources to produce enough product. That affects our output and further further down the line affects our top line sales. It, it makes it look like a slowdown is occurring when you have not only my company, but all the companies out there, particularly the ones that uh, deal in consumer goods. If we're not getting enough people, if we're not getting enough raw material inputs, the net effect is it makes it look like there's a slowdown. When in reality, if we could make it, if we had all the resources we needed, if we could make it, it would be sold. We could sell it. And there would be no slowdown. I think we would still see um, a pretty healthy and robust uh, amount of economic activity. Now to kind of go further with this point and, and some of the other implications you might, uh, that I don't think are being thought about here. Uh, I've seen reports, and this is a big one because this affects, this is why car lots are empty. They, there's not enough chips. You don't, we don't, there's no computers out there. Uh, I don't want to say no, but you know, the, the computer inventories are low. Certainly the car inventories are low. Everything that takes a microchip, uh, it's a struggle right now. Anything that takes an electronic component is a struggle right now. I've seen reports of electronics components having 12-month lead times. That's a whole year before having the components needed to make a product. How much pent-up demand will there be on an item with a 12-month lead time. I mean, there's certain things people are going to want, so it just keeps adding to the, to call it adding to the pile, so to speak. I want this computer. I want this car. I'm willing to wait. It could be 12 months, okay, and you have enough people doing that that you get that pent-up demand. It, it, there's not a clear signal, and it's always a, a mode of catch-up, and that's what doesn't get understood when you see these prognostications, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Now, also with this, I want to be clear here on something because there are specialized parts for specialized pieces of equipment that do take that long to make. There are things like 12 month lead times on specialized uh, pieces of equipment and specialized parts that go into there. Those are the things, I'm not talking about those things here. What I am talking about is those items that we use every day, all day, every day, um, things like our cars, computers, phones, those things. Those are the things that would have inventories from the finished good that we buy all the way back down to the raw materials that go into them, right right down to things like the raw metals, uh, the raw plastics, etc. What I have found is that these prognosticators all seem to be overly optimistic 
in when these issues will abate. Now, let's say for instance, I order a batch of parts today with a 12 month lead time. I am not going to be able to put my widget together until next August. Now that doesn't sound like an issue that will resolve itself in a couple of quarters like these prognosticators seem to think. It's a longer term issue. When you have a lead time on something that is that long, a year, and I again, I'm talking about items that there typically is inventory held at all points in the supply chain. It's not an issue that resolves itself quickly. The truth is, and this is in my experience and what I do day to day is trying to figure out when are we going to have product to put on people's shelves again. So I, I've got just a little bit of experience here. The honest truth is it will take a minimum of one and a half times whatever that current lead time is to resolve the issue. So in the case of something with a lead time of 12 months, it's likely to be a minimum of 18 months before you start to see things return to normal, before in the inventories get back to normal, before you start to go to the store and see that I've got, I, I can get my favorite product again. That's because what these prognosticators don't take into account is the pent-up demand there is from the shortages. Now, the cherry on top of all of this is the prices of everything continue to rise. It doesn't matter if it's raw material, the transportation to get materials from point A to point B, the labor. It's anything that is related to the input of a product or getting a product to the shelf has seen the costs increase, much of it due to scarcity. Uh, and, you know, I would put in there the labor as well because of our government likes to continue to pay people to stay home and they're making a business decision. I can go work for 12 bucks an hour. I can sit home and do nothing for 17. Or what are you going to choose? Now, I think we all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Companies don't just eat these costs. They pass them along to you and I. They pass them along to the consumer. They have their bottom line and their margins they maintain, need to maintain to stay in business and to reinvest in their business. They're, they're not just going to eat all of these costs. Do they pass on the full brunt? Depends what it is. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Companies have had to try and overcome this $17 an hour that people are getting to sit home. And they're trying to overcome that. What used to be a $12 an hour job might now be $17 or $18 an hour just so that business can make an attempt to staff appropriately so they can get enough people to put together those widgets that we want to go buy. They're raising the their their um, wages by that so they don't miss out on sales. Well, when you do that, your prices are going to increase. Now, you think about our uh, the raw materials and the inputs into that. Companies do try to negotiate the prices back down when their suppliers attempt to pass along a price increase, but it's not always successful. And I would say, given our current environment, I would hedge a bet towards it's probably less of a success story when you get uh, into those negotiations and trying to keep your pricing the same from a raw material input standpoint. This also leaves 
companies no choice but to take the price increase on their inputs and then pass it along to you. All of these added costs trickle all the way down through the supply chain into the end product, into the end service that you and I consume. They, they, they just keep adding up through each step of the process. Now, again, it could be um, all of it, all of the price increase just gets passed along or there could be some, some companies do hold back and maybe split the cost increase. One way or another, our prices keep going up and it's due to the scarcity in labor, scarcity in materials. And we, uh, like I said, I don't see it abating anytime soon within the next couple of quarters. Like I, uh, these, these overly optimistic prognosticators uh, seem to think, especially the ones that, that sit in the Federal Reserve. They're part of the problem causing all this. And they're, I think, just trying to, to toe the company line here and, and be overly optimistic. And we'll come in, in three months, six months, and we'll probably still be in the same position, quite honestly, from everything I'm seeing. You know, we're planning longer term. I mean, we're we're looking four, five, six months out in, in my industry, in my company, before we even think about being kind of back to our healthy, recovered, normal, steady state of running. Now, talking about GDP a little bit, Goldman Sachs, and this is for what it's worth, revised their GDP estimates, their gross domestic product estimates. So everything that, you know, every transaction that happens in our economy they revised that from an aggressive 9% growth rate in the third quarter, which we are in now if we're going by calendar year, down to 5.5%. I'll say this. If the labor and material shortages aren't resolved soon, like right now, we're already over halfway through the third quarter, and the government and media morons don't back off of its Delta variant and vaccine mandate campaign, even that 5.5% GDP growth in the third, third quarter will be a pipe dream. You need products and services to sell in order to add to your gross domestic product. If there are shortages in any of the inputs in a product, and not a few here or there, I'm talking about the large-scale shortages that we've seen the last call it your plus now, those large-scale shortages, whether it be the components for the physical widgets or the labor to provide a service or the labor to provide uh, or the labor that's the input into making that physical widget, if there, these shortages aren't resolved like now, there, there's no way we get to 5.5% growth in the third quarter. If we don't resolve those, our GDP suffers. There will be nothing to buy, and that's what goes into the GDP number. It's those transactions, what was sold, what services were sold. Likewise, if consumer confidence is low because of, say, the continued propagandizing of the Delta variant, and call it maybe the vaccine mandates as well, GDP will suffer because you will not have people out and about traveling or doing things like eating out. And I think in the case of vaccine mandates, people are just going to say, screw it. I am not getting a vaccine just so I can go to a game. I'm not going to uh, let you tickle my brain with your Q-tip 
so I can enter a, 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 a play. I'm not going to show you my paper so I can eat out to dinner. People are just going to stay home. They're not going to put up with that crap. That also is going to cause our GDP to suffer. We will not have growth because people are just going to say, screw it, I am not going to deal with that. It's ridiculous. And additionally here, as inflation continues to rise, people will start spending less on discretionary items. They will have less to spend on discretionary items because they will have to spend more on the everyday essentials for living. Or they might just outright start putting their money into say, their savings accounts to buffer against future price increases, to buffer against what could be a looming recession. And that's where this all would lead. It all leads eventually to a recession. And dare I say, could we see stagflation if these conditions persist? We see no increase in output. Actually, output could be on the decline. And the manufacturing index indicators, I'll link articles, bear that out that our output is actually on the decline. But prices keep going up. That's why I say, dare I say, does this lead to stagflation? Now, we don't have the other piece of that, which is high unemployment, but we don't actually know what the unemployment number is because the government's been paying people to sit at home and they just drop out of the system and stop reporting themselves as unemployed. They're getting their 17 bucks an hour instead of going and working for 13. So we don't actually know what the actual unemployment number is. They say, yeah, it's low. It's, I don't remember what it is, three, 4%, 5%, whatever it is right now. They say it's low. I don't believe it's that low. There's no way it can be that low when there's still a labor shortage, a massive labor shortage. Now, there's probably enough pent-up demand for products and services to keep growth going in the economy so we don't hit a recession and we start soaking up some of the extra money and avoid the stagflation and the, you know our inflation numbers start to level off and drop down to you know the Fed's two percent they like to keep it at or whatever there's probably enough pent-up demand for products to make that happen yet and to probably enough pent-up demand to to keep it going for a while but if we don't resolve the issues those major issues of the mass labor shortage the 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 massive uh raw material shortages then i think we end up in a recession or facing stagflation Economic growth goes negative, not because of some asset bubble bursting or the inflated inventories that are not being sold here in this case, but our economic growth goes negative simply because we could not produce enough goods and services to grow the economy. And that is the path we seem to be on right now. The Democrats continue to ignore the fact that the labor shortage is causing uh, the supply shortage of goods and services. They'd rather keep handing out money to people to do nothing. They want to get them hooked on that government teat. They want to be the ones be, to to say we support. See, we we uh, covered you in your time of need. You can trust us. Here's some more money. I'll say this too: Republicans are not without blame here. 
A number of those dunces voted to keep handing out this money as well, contributing to the issues we now have. At both parties, the Uniparty is complicit in this. What our problem is, we have career politicians who, for the majority of them, there's some good ones out there, don't get me wrong, but the majority of them, and we all know who these clowns are, have done nothing but canoodled in the various political swamps on their way to Washington, D.C. or your state capitol, totally devoid of acquiring any real-world experience or knowledge that would actually be helpful in setting policy that would actually be helpful in fixing what we are now facing. Most of these clowns have never worked in a factory or built a road or spent time running a business or you know, worked in something like I do in planning a production facility or uh, working uh, uh, the front desk of a hotel or working in hospitality. They've, they've got no real world experience. And it's this lack of actual experience that always shows in times of crisis, which we are certainly experiencing in, not to be dire here, but it seems all aspects of our life. And I think it will be sometime in the next 6 to 12 months that we will see another crisis economically if things don't change soon. I'll close with this. If you own a home, if you have some high interest debt, refinance it now. We could be in for some real challenging economic times ahead. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Treat yourself to something new and take 20% off of your order now through August 26th. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you subscribe to the show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.